Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. The sermon text is the Gospel reading, Mount Transfiguration. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus, what do we do with our pain? We all have pain in one form or another. No one here is pain-free. Is, is anyone here pain-free? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, okay. I didn't think so. We all have pain. Now, our knee-jerk reaction to pain is to avoid the pain or to declare the pain meaningless, worthless, useless, null, and void, or work very hard to make our lives devoid of pain. Dear friends, the transfiguration of our Lord gives us a better way, a way that means going down, down, down into our present pain to go up, up, up into his glorious gain. What goes down must go up. Now that is the pattern. Now you can argue with me, but that is the pattern that our Lord defines by his death and resurrection. He sets it in stone. Now it makes not a lick of sense. Our reason can't comprehend this, dear friends. It's a mystery. But this mystery is a reality. Capital R reality. A reality that our Lord doesn't divorce himself from, but the reality he enters into fully so that no one here is alone. No one is alone here at GLC. Not alone in our pain. Not alone in our hurts and wounds, not alone in our brokenness, not alone in our headaches and heartaches, not alone in our disappointments and, and regrets, not alone in our sickness and suffering, not alone in our death and dying. Jesus is in this, this with us. Jesus is in this with us. That is it's what we learn from this really strange event in the life of Jesus, the Transfiguration. It's what we learn today. Going up, you must first go down with Jesus. Now, we fight against this kind of thinking. We do. We don't like it. We fight it, just like, you know, Peter does, actually six days before they go up, up, up Mount Transfiguration. Yeah, uh, six days earlier, uh, Jesus says that the Christ must suffer, but Peter didn't like that flavor of Savior. He doesn't savor that, you know, flavor of Savior. And so he tries to put up a detour. Why talk about six days earlier? Well, don't don't, don't, don't blame me, okay? Mark is the one who brings up this time reference, okay, six days earlier. So then the question is, what occurred six days earlier? Thank you for asking that question, because you're going to find out. Okay, okay, okay. Mark 9, 2. And after six days, Jesus took with them Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Before Jesus goes all out, shine, Jesus, shine on Petey, Jimmy, and Johnny, Peter, James, and John. 
he unleashes, he lets loose that eternal life, eternal death question. And you know that question. The question he dropped on them in Caesarea Philippi. This question, Mark 8, 29. But who do you say that I am? Peter, a.k.a. Rocky, ain't so rocky. Not rocky at all. He actually delivered the rock-solid, eternal life, holy-spirited confession of faith. You are the what? The Christ. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Now, that title, Christ, Messiah, uh, had a lot of different flavors at this time. More than Baskin Robbins or even the flavors at cream and sugar, okay? Way more flavors. So Jesus did not actually let his entourage take a stab at the meaning of Messiah. He doesn't give them the chance. Jesus defined Messiah before they got any cute ideas. Mark 8, verses 31 and 32. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. Ooh, a lot of rejection there. And be killed... And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. He did not stutter, okay? Plainly. Yeah, Jesus gave it to them straight. No sugarcoating, okay? Gave it to them straight. So P -p -p Peter, uh, he hears the mission of Messiah loud and clear, but he will not let this silly plan unfold far or near. Look at what he does. This is Peter at his best, I mean worst. Mark 8, 32. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. That's always a bad idea, okay? <laughs> Rebuking Jesus. Uh, don't do that. It's as though Peter says, not on my watch, Jesus. No, no. You ain't gonna get killed. There is no winning by losing, no victory in defeat. A killed Christ is, uh, you know, silly. It's utter folly. It's not living in reality. Well, in fact, who's not living in reality, Bill? Peter. Peter's not living in reality, Bill. See, Jesus will not let Peter or you or me or anybody give him an alternate itinerary because his destiny is, is, is Calvary, the cross. Mark 8.33 if you, rebuke, if you rebuke Jesus, then he rebukes you. That's what we learn here, right? But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Bob, buddy, friend. What, what does he say? Satan. Satan, yeah. Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Going up means first going down. That is the capital R reality. Now, we can, like Peter, defy, decry, deny all we want. But then we're just living a fantasy. We're not living in reality. Now, fast forward six days later you know, to our gospel reading this morning, and it appears that Jesus is talking out of both sides of the mouth. It appears as though Jesus is actually contradicting himself. You know, up there on Mount Transfiguration, it looks like Jesus changes his tune regarding his being executed, his being killed, murdered. And that's actually how Peter interprets 
the transfiguration initially. Yeah, when Jesus uh, <laughs> shines with all his glory. Peter thinks that suffering is done for everybody. So he proposes to uh, build tents, which goes along with their last day theology. What a scene. Sunglasses necessary. Hopefully you brought your Ray-Bans. <laughs> uh, Mark 9, verses 2 through 4. And Jesus was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. No doubt that this Jesus is G-O-D, God. He's God. His divinity is bleeding through his humanity. And if this wasn't glorious enough, well, then Moses and Elijah joined the party, the O.T. Old Testament Hall of Famers. Wowzers! Heaven on earth! It looks like that this tsunami of divine glory is about to spill over and flood creation immediately, permanently. Now that was the Jewish hope. That is what the people of God hoped for. This glory of God filling the entire earth. And, and so Peter is thinking in this moment, wow, I'm on top of the world. We are on top of the world. Not just any world, but God's whole new world. We've arrived. Alleluia. Got to get those alle alleluias in before we uh, retire them. Okay. Alleluia. Not just any new world. God's new world. Now we get to camp out. We get to set up shop in this new world where there's no more sin, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more sadness, no more cemeteries. Alleluia. See, Peter thinks they have arrived. That all that they hoped for now realized. Home, sweet home. And that's why he proposes this whole tent building project, okay? You know, we really beat up on Peter here. I think that he's actually just living his theology, what he knows at this time. Mark 9, verses 5 and 6. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. See, the only thing that makes sense for Peter in this moment is that they have entered the new Eden. Paradise lost is now paradise restored. Now, before you beat up on Peter, this is not anything new. Think of, think of Noah. Noah gets off the ark, right? And he believes that this is creation, regenesis. He believes that he has now entered paradise restored. The Garden of Eden 2.0. One of the first things that he does is that he plants a what? A vineyard! The first mention of wine in the scriptures, right, right after the flood. And so then wine becomes a symbol throughout the Bible of the new creation, where everything is going, right? Now, we get more than just, you know, a symbol of the new creation here. We actually get to sip and sup the wine that is now the blood of Jesus. We get a foretaste of the new creation where all of this is going. 
See, the restoration of creation at the consummation is the hope of God's people, the hope of everyone in this congregation. So, Pedium pals, you know, this is, their hearts, you know, have been shaped and formed by this hope. Especially, especially with a festival, a festival involving tents. Yeah, there's a festival in the life of Israel involving tents. The festival, the feast of tabernacles, booths. It's one of the three agricultural festivals. And you know, you know at least a couple of them. There is a, that's right, Passover, Pentecost, and then tabernacles, booths. The feast, the festival of tabernacles. It occurred at the end of their festival season, and they got to camp out for seven days outside Jerusalem, rejoicing in the harvest and remembering their forefathers' 40-year wilderness wanderings. Remember that God's people for four decades camped out with God in the wilderness as they were journeying where? The promised land, that land flowing with milk and honey. That's where their hope was. And so this festival became a time of anticipation, a time to hope, a time to look forward to what was coming. This new promised land of a, you know, a new heavens and a, a new earth. It was a time to look forward to that eternal rest that was, that was just around the last day corner. A promised rest that would be enjoyed by both God and man. A promised rest that would involve all of creation. Lions and tigers and, and bears. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah, we will be able to pet lions in the new creation, not worried about them gobbling us up, okay? That's going to be amazing. I'm going to have one for my own pet, okay? <laughs> not paradise restored yet. This isn't the new garden of Eden, not yet. They can't stay on top of this mountain. Mark 9, 7. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Listen to him. What did Jesus say six days earlier? Going up means first going down. They can't stand on the mountaintop because they're not at the top. Not yet. See, the transfiguration, dear friends, is our encouragement to go with Jesus down, down into the pain that is on the plain where he transforms you and me over and over and over again. You know the saying, no pain, no, no gain. I know that is a tough pill to swallow. We want a pain-free life with that is, it's not going to happen. It's a tough pill to swallow, but that's reality. A reality that is a mystery. A mystery that will remain a mystery this side of eternity. We just can't fully comprehend God's storyline to human history. But thankfully, we are not alone in our pain and misery. Listen to these words. Mark 9, 8. 
And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Now Moses and Elijah returned to heaven. Not Jesus. He, he remains with them. He is with them. That's, that's what the text says. With them. Now those words, two words, with them, so comforting to Petey, Jimmy, Johnny. To you and to me. Everyone here at GLC. Why? No one is ever alone in his or her Dear John and Emily, this is the gospelly good news that you will get to share with uh, dear Lizzie. Yeah, dear Elizabeth Ann. Her baptism means that this cloud of, of, of divine presence which blanketed Petey, Jimmy, and Johnny now blankets her, covers her, envelops, and enfolds her. Never alone. The same is true for all of us here. Never alone. Jesus is in this, with us. And whatever your this is, you have the confidence, you have the assurance that Jesus has already suffered your this. And, and he lives. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And we shall rise, too, by first going down many times, going down with Jesus. Yeah, the Father invites all of us here at GLC to listen to his beloved Son, who has already gone through a Good Friday crucifixion so that he can lead us down into our present pain and up into his glorious gain. See, Jesus doesn't avoid pain. He doesn't declare pain useless, meaningless, null and void. He doesn't try to work so hard to have a life devoid of pain. Jesus enters fully into our pain that is here on the plain. He doesn't stay up on the mountain. He goes down into that valley of the shadow of death. Mark 9, 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now that's remarkable. Until the Son of Man had risen from the dead? Are you picking up what Jesus is putting down? He knows that there is life after life after death. He knows that there is life after misery, mayhem, suffering, and strife. Easter morning will follow Good Friday. He wholeheartedly believes this. And the same is true for you and for me, because his cross is what carves out that path through all of our crosses. Survey that wondrous cross, dear friends, and see the collective pain from that first man, Adam, to the last man standing in human history. It's all there. There is no pain on the plane that is outside of this crucified God-man, Jesus. It's all there. Heaped on his shoulders. It's all there. The uh, contrast between the crucifixion 
and the transfiguration tells us so. A darkness over the land at high noon instead of a bright light that's brighter and greater than the stars and the sun and the moon. A beaten, bruised, bloodied body instead of that razzle-dazzle robe shining ever so brightly. A pair of criminals instead of, you know, the two OT Hall of Famers. A voice from one mocker after another instead of the voice of the Father. You can't go further down than this. <laughs> I mean, Jesus does cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He hits rock bottom. Hits rock bottom. See, all suffering is concentrated and collected there at Calvary. Which is good news for you and for me. This means that your Jesus is intimately aware of your pain. He already tasted it and has gone through it. You can't ask for a better Jesus than that. He has experienced all the pain that we could ever experience, and he lives. He faced it for us. Jesus faces the pain from all of our sins, all of our fails and flails and flubs, all of those sins which make us feel so less than. Jesus faces the pain from all of our weaknesses that, you know, we just can't seem to overcome and win. Jesus faces the pain of all of our traumas and tragedies that we wish never happened. Jesus faces the pain of all of our death and dying that seem to do us in. And he suffers it all to death so that we can take that next breath and step down into the pain, no matter the breadth, the length, the depth. And there we meet Jesus. He's there in the pain. He's there. So let's not you know, avoid our pain or else we risk actually avoiding Jesus himself. It's precisely in that pain, that pain that we can't fix, that pain that we can't control, that pain that we can't understand and comprehend, where we find ourselves in the nails of our hands of Jesus, who speaks his precious, never-failed promises to you and to me. He whispers these words into our ears, you are mine and I am yours. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Not a hair on your head shall perish. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in, in weakness. I work all things for your good. All, all means all, all things for your everlasting good. I know you can't, but, but I can. All things are possible for, for me. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. A morning, an Easter morning that will have no end. Take heart. I have overcome the world. What goes down must go up. 
Dear friends, we listen and Jesus leads. So you know, let's savor this flavor of Savior, okay? Say that 20 times fast. Ooh. Let's savor this flavor of Savior, for He alone transforms us from one degree of glory to another, becoming like Him more and more and more until suffering is no more. What do we do with our pain? Well, we go down into it with Jesus. We go down into it with Jesus, not just once or twice, but really pretty much daily. I mean, we're talking hundreds upon hundreds of time, times in a lifetime. And every time we go down with Jesus into the pain, we die. We die to our self-salvation schemes. We die to our independent dreams. We die to, we're just the, the best tribalism teams. And he lifts us up. He lifts us up into a larger life. The greatest one there is, is the largest one there is. His life! What glorious gain. And his glory shines on you and shines on me, my dear friends. He, it does. His glory shines on us and in us and through us, transforming us to love as he loves. Transforming us to be kind as he is kind. Transforming us to be gentle as he is gentle. Transforming us to be lowly as he is lowly. Transforming us to be merciful as he is merciful. Transforming us to be good as he is good. Transforming us to be humble as he is humble. Dear friends, my brothers and sisters here at GLC, let's go down. After all, it's the only way up. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen.